Welcome to the Dunwoody Community Church Podcast. We are so glad you have chosen to listen in to one of our Sunday services, and we hope that you will be blessed by today's message. For more information about Dunwoody Community Church, please visit us at dunwoodychurch.org. That's dunwoodychurch.org. So good morning and Happy New Year. Yeah, that's what I thought. We're through with 2021, and I'm grateful for that, especially those last six days, which between Christmas and New Year's Day that have been described as the time when you don't know what day it is or what you're supposed to be doing. I felt some of that this last year. But to be honest, Happy New Year, just the greeting just feels a little hollow this year to me. 2021 has been... It's been very sobering, unsettling at the least, and for some, it's been very painful and devastating. And in the last few months, I felt like we here at Dunwoody Community Church have had a defining moment. Uh, As the elders would get together and pray uh, every other week, we thanked God for shielding us, for the most part, from, from COVID. We had a few people that would get it and get well. And then we had in November, we had this this rash of families and individuals getting COVID. And then Kevin Cowan went into the hospital. And then there were others who who were reporting to us of diagnoses and, and serious illnesses that they were dealing with. And it just felt like, bam, bam, bam. And... We just felt like as elders, we need, we need to call the church together and pray. And so <clears throat> on December the 14th and the 15th and those evenings, we had a Zoom prayer meeting. And I don't really still, even though I've thought about it a lot, I still do not know how to describe what happened during those two prayer meetings. But it was a powerful thing. And to those who attended uh, that I've spoken with, we all said the same thing. That was, that was something. It was, there was something about getting on the knees of our hearts together and imploring God to, to save Kevin's life, to let him stay here with us, to quote scripture back to the Lord and to each other. So on the 14th, we prayed almost exclusively for Kevin, that the Lord would, would spare his life recognizing that God has his plans and his ways and he knows better than what, what, what we know. And while we were praying on the 14th, I had my eyes closed and I heard this voice and I looked up on my monitor and there was Sean Schantz joining us from Southeast Asia, 7 a.m. his time, praying with us. That was powerful. And the next night we prayed again for Kevin and we prayed for the others in our congregation who were dealing with very difficult things. And it was, it was a powerful time. And my sense is that we're going to do this again, not just because we feel driven to pray because things are bad, but because it's good for the family of God to come together to be in the Lord's presence. And I think that's really the, what the thing, I think it was being in God's presence in that spirit. I think it did something in us. And um, that will be 
a historical marker for me for 2021. So we're in 2022 now, and instinctively we have this feeling of, okay, hopefully things will be better, things will smooth out, there'll be more balance, we'll get this COVID thing or whatever's going on under control. But what if that doesn't happen? What if things continue the way they are, or what if things get worse? You know, as I look at scripture, I see a whole lot more worse down the pike than things getting easier or better. So how do we navigate that? How do we prepare for that? I think that's an important question for us today. And, I, and to begin with, I think it's important to, to look at our, our Western culture. But before that, I want to say something about, again, about Kevin's passing. Not that the Lord did not answer our prayer to keep Kevin from passing, but that the Lord went with him through that. Uh, I think I mentioned Timothy Keller the last time I preached, and he has stage four pancreatic cancer, and this is what he said. It is endlessly comforting to have a God who is both infinitely more wise and more loving than I am. He has plenty of good reasons for everything he does and allows that I cannot know, and therein is my hope and strength. And that's the attitude that I want to have, and I think we all need to adopt, that God is good. He defines goodness by himself and who he is, and I take comfort in that. So, but I want us to first think about the context in which we live culturally. And I have three quotes that I, that I think are very important. In his book, The Gift of Pain, and none of these men, to my knowledge, are believers, in his book, The Gift of Pain, Dr. Paul Brand says, it is because the meaning of life in the United States is the pursuit of pleasure and personal freedom that suffering is so traumatic for Americans. Richard Schwader, an American anthropologist and professor at the University of Chicago, has written a book, and the title of the book is, Why Do Men Barbecue? It's looking at cultures and the differences. And he says this, in older cultures and in non-Western cultures today, suffering has been seen as an expected part of a coherent life story, a crucial way to live life well and to grow as a person and a soul. But the meaning, but the meaning of life in our Western society is individual freedom. There is no higher good than the right and freedom to decide for yourself what you think is good. And then lastly, Max Scheller in his book, The Meaning of Suffering, says this. Sociologists and anthropologists have analyzed and compared the various ways that cultures train its members for grief, pain, and loss. And when this comparison is done, it is often noted that our own contemporary secular Western culture is one of the weakest, the worst in history in doing so. We don't do well with that in our culture. And we tend to value freedom and pleasure to the extent that we unwittingly want to be free from that which would anchor us to real purpose and growth and fruitfulness. 
and we wonder why we have little or no joy or peace. Paul says in Romans, not to be conformed to this world. And we have, this is the world that is pressing in on us to encourage us to think and be like that. And I have to confess, I make lots of decisions based on, eh, that's going to take me out of my comfort zone. And uh, that's not necessarily good. So I want to look today at just in general, two types of suffering. There's the suffering that we experience because we live in this world. We live in a badly broken world. It's beautiful. It's amazing. My wife and I, if Pam and I could travel all the time, we would do it. Uh, we, God's creation is just phenomenal. And God's creation in people is equally phenomenal. But that being that as it may, we're, we're living in a broken world because we introduced sin into it. And sin has brought destruction, uh, dysfunction, death, and all kinds of things that will continue until Jesus comes back and rectifies things. So this is the world in which we live. And because of that, we suffer. We suffer because we've lost Kevin. Um, and Cherie certainly has suffered, and Cappy and Sarah have suffered because of his loss, and we grieve continually. In my work as a hospice chaplain, not only do I see that in, the, in patients who are, who are in the process of dying, but in the family dynamics, it's very common. There's always somebody in the family that's either a trouble, or we haven't heard from that brother in 10 years, that's just common. And a lot of times I think we think, man, I wish it could be like such and such a family and such and such a family. You know, we scratch deep enough, everybody is dealing with brokenness in this world. So that's the first type of suffering. But then the second type of suffering, suffering that comes because we are identified as committed followers of Jesus Christ, persecution. So those are the two areas that I want to uh, focus on today. So how do we prepare for these kinds of things and deal with these kinds of things? I think um, acknowledging that we are not our own, but that we're bought with a price. In 1 Corinthians, Paul is addressing the Corinthian church, and they had some of the same issues that we have, a little tweaked a little different. They, their view was, I'm a spirit, and this body is nothing so I can do whatever I want to with it. They would say things like, um, I'm a soul attached to a tomb, or I'm a poor soul chained to a, a, a corpse. So I'm a spirit, I can do whatever I want to with my body, and so, um, you know, going to prostitutes was okay because it's just your body. It's, you know, and, and just eating um, until you're just gorged was no problem. So in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, he's quoting them. Uh, chapter 6, verse 12 through 20. I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food and God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do you not know 
that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. I've never served in the military, but from those that I've spoken with and observed, and I think we all understand this, when you're in the military, it's made very clear early on, you are not your own. You are there to serve a specific function. And at the very least, you're there to be, um, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Inconvenienced. Your preferences and wants and desires are put on hold, and at the very most, you will be giving your life. And I think that ties in with this. You are not your own, you're bought with a price. This is a good place to start in 2022. We also need to acknowledge the Holy Spirit's investment in our day-to-day direction and progress. Again, Paul in Romans 8, 22, he, he says, and this ties into the whole broken world thing. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the very present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who, are, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly wait for our adoption to sonship and the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope at all, who hopes for what they already have. But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. I think that's kind of outside the norm of our culture. We're a microwave um, mentality. We wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. As we go through 2022 and beyond, by God's grace, and we are dealing with things that are beyond us, I find it's comforting and I think it's good for us to keep in mind the Holy Spirit is busy. He doesn't take a break, he doesn't sleep, he doesn't go on vacation. He is praying on behalf of us when we don't know what we ought to pray about. We're weak, and he is praying so intensely that it it comes out as wordless groans. I find that fascinating and amazing. And he, God the Father, who he God the Father who searches our hearts and minds connects with the Holy Spirit because he's interceding for us on behalf of God's will. And we know that in all things God works for good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose.
we will have those days, and I'm thankful to know that the Holy Spirit is busy on our behalf and for the glory of God. Next, acknowledging that Jesus identifies deeply with the suffering of the least of these. Matthew 25, 31 to 40. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates his sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For in this departure, to me, this is a departure, but for, but for the scripture, this is a perfect continuous flow. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did for me. There's not many here, I think, that are dealing with those issues other than maybe sickness. No one here is in prison, obviously. But hungry, thirsty, needing clothes. And scripture calls these people the least of these. It doesn't mean that there's a hierarchy of people. It means that there are those who are disadvantaged. And one thing that will really help us, will help me, is to minister to those but in, and knowing that when I minister to them, I am ministering to Jesus. So, here's an um, unabashed commercial here. If you want to serve those who are disadvantaged, you're suffering brothers and sisters. Seven Bridges to Recovery. I don't think Tim Chu is here today, but Tim and others go on Saturdays. Seven Bridges to Recovery reaches out to the homeless under bridges, uh, people dealing with drug addiction, prostitution, homelessness, um, all kinds of issues. And they go, and we can go anytime with them. Everything is set up. It's very well organized. Give them a sandwich, listen to them, pray with them, minister to Jesus. Cross-cultural ministry, Virginia Cosgrove, who runs that ministry, she's a regular attender here. Uh, Allison Bernstein, Margot Cuthbert, Lynette Nolan, Phil Rather, and others are involved in that ministry. Children who are many born in this country but live in families who don't speak English, they're disadvantaged, and many of them drop out of school 
many of them end up on the wrong side of the law. Many of them struggle in all kinds of ways. But these that I've mentioned and others come and come alongside them, listen to them, minister to them, teach them math, teach them English, whatever. They, they are ministering to Jesus. Uh, if you like to travel, Terrell Davis, his ministry, and he's soon to be commissioned as an elder, Global Business Solutions. You may remember a few months ago, they were going to Guatemala. They were teaching people there to raise rabbits and have a food supply that they needed, um, hoping to stave off malnutrition that is rampant in Guatemala and being Jesus to these people and in so doing, ministering to Jesus. If you want to travel further... Um, travel with Cindy and Daryl Knight to Ukraine, Hope Now USA, and that ministry. Minister to orphans and widows. And if you can't go, you can sponsor an orphan here and communicate with them. And there are other ministries, and I, I'm, I've probably left out, and I, I apologize if I have. Um, but ministering to Jesus because the least of these are also part of us. And then acknowledging that Jesus indwells and owns our spiritual suffering, Acts 9, 1 to 16. And I really wanted to camp on this passage, and I think if and when I preach again, I will spend time here. It's just an amazing passage, Acts 9, 1 to 16. And this is the second time we've been introduced to Saul in Acts um, 7 and 8. He's, he's there when, when Stephen is stoned to death, and he's approving of it. And um, so here we are again with Saul. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats. Uh, that word can also be interpreted slaughter against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. And there were lots of synagogues in Damascus. So that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, now, get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision and Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man 
is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And in the Greek text, the I is emphatic. Ananias is not going to tell him how much he must suffer. The Lord is going to tell Paul how much he must suffer. There's an interesting job description. You're going to be my spokesperson to the Gentiles and their kings and to Israel, and you're going to suffer. Later in um, Acts 20, 22 to 24, Paul says, And now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task to testifying of the good news of God's grace. And as you know, if you've read anything about the life of Paul, he suffered. He suffered a lot. But I go back to Jesus' statement to him, his question to him. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? If and when you and I have the honor and privilege to suffer for the name of Jesus... He's being persecuted if I'm being persecuted. I don't think anything has changed since that time when he said to, to Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus identifies so deeply with us. In John, he talks, as he prayed to the Father, you're in me, I'm in them, they're in you. There's this, this appropriate enmeshment because we are the children of God. So Saul, Saul, why, do you, why are you persecuting me? In Saul's mind, he was, Jesus was dead and he was persecuting these nutso peoples that, people that were following after Jesus or thinking that they were following after, after Jesus. What a revelation. One, God didn't kill me. Two, Jesus is alive He's real. And there's almost this sense, and it's a little tongue-in-cheek, but there's almost this sense of, you know, like when your dad says, what are you doing? I want you to go to your room and think about it. And no supper for you. And so Saul goes three days. He's blind. And scripture says he was praying. Pharisees were good at praying. They did a lot of that. But can you think about what his prayers must have been? What a change. Everything. And he talks about this. Everything that he had accomplished was worthless because of what he now had in Jesus Christ. He even called it dung using that term to, to shock people, to, to get them to understand that all that he had accomplished up to that point was nothing. And so spending time for those three days, I just can't help but imagine that he was reviewing everything in his life, how he had it wrong, even though he had the right information. He had it wrong, and he experienced God's grace 
so powerfully. He experienced God's presence so powerfully. I can't help but think that he spent time confessing his sins and praising God, thanking God for his mercy and kindness and worshiping God and preparing for what was ahead of him. But like Saul, someday we will have the opportunity to suffer. And, and again, when I go, I go back to the military uh, illustration. In my hospice work, I often have vet- veterans and uh, I always make it a point to thank them for their service to our country. And the ones who have not been in combat often say, well, you know, I, I was never overseas, I, you know. And they almost discredit being in the military because they have not had to suffer. And my prayer is that when I go to heaven and I'm facing Jesus, I, my, I hope that he will not say, well, you, you had it pretty easy, didn't you? I don't want that. So Paul ends with, and uh, he doesn't end with, but in Philippians 3.10, and this is about 25 years after his Damascus Road experience, he, he concludes uh, a series of comments ramping up by saying, I want to know Christ, I want to know the power of his resurrection, and to fellowship and or participate in his sufferings. And I think that's the goal of us all. So, how do we prepare for, at the very least, the uncertainties that we face in the year to come, in this year? One, to acknowledge our cultural context, be aware how our world presses in on us to get us to think one way when we should be thinking another. Acknowledge that we're not our own. We're bought with a price. Recognize and praise God for the Holy Spirit's investment in our lives every day on our behalf because we don't know how we ought to pray or what we ought to pray for. Acknowledge that Jesus personally identifies with our physical suffering and calls us to minister to him in the lives of the least of these. To acknowledge that Jesus indwells and owns our spiritual suffering, he suffers with us to persevere patiently, as it says in Acts, for the hope that we don't have yet, but will have. And like Paul, I think, pray. He was blessed to be blind for three days. He had no visual distractions. He prayed. It's a challenge to come away from all that's going on in our lives and pray, but we ought to. And knowing all of these things, remember that we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Knowing that our afflictions are preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. And knowing that our present sufferings are not worth comparing 
with the glory that will be revealed in us. Pray with me. Lord, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for how you lead us and guide us. I thank you that you are faithful. I thank you that we can trust you in all things. I thank you that your plans are good and perfect, that they result in your glory, that they result in good coming because of who you are. And I pray as you instructed us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth here as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.